Hello, space policy enthusiasts. Welcome to the Space Policy Pioneers podcast. My name is Andy Williams, and I'm the director of Science in Space, a niche space policy consultancy firm. On this podcast, we'll talk to leading space policy experts and hear their informative and inspirational career stories to help you, the listener, learn about the different career paths in space policy and the skills you need to be successful. If you enjoy this podcast, please help us by leaving a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform and sign up for more information and career resources at www.scienceinspace.co.uk. One final note before we begin, all guests are talking in their personal capacity and are not representing any official position of their former or current employing organization. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not legal or investment advice. Our guest today is Charles Gallon, Policy Manager for ASD Eurospace, a European Space Industry Trade Association. Welcome to the Space Policy Pioneers podcast, Charles. Thank you, Andrew, for the invitation. It's my pleasure to be here. So, Charles, before working in the space sector, you studied for political science at the under, undergraduate level, and then you did two master's degrees in international relations and European politics. And then your first professional role was with Unilever in their European affairs team. So how did you make this transition into the space sector? Were you looking for a job in public affairs or specifically looking for uh, a space sector role? Yeah, so indeed Unilever is not so much related to space, it's, it's a consumer good industry. So basically I studied European affairs at the university, at the, the Policy Institute of Strasbourg and, and also in Germany. And we learned everything about the EU policy, how it works in the EU. And I really wanted to have an experience and how it feels to be in Brussels. And I took the opportunity to join the, the Unilever EU office, although I didn't know anything about consumer good industry. It was just an opportunity to me to be at, in Brussels and to see how it works because we, we heard so much about uh, the 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 Brussels bubble, how it works, uh, everything that's going on between on, on one side, the lobby organization, on the others, the people in the institutions. So when I had this opportunity, it was just for me to be in Brussels and to see how it looked like. And basically in, in Strasbourg, in, during my studies, we had the visit from a few of the EU professionals during the year. So people that were specialized in environment, agriculture, etc. And there was someone who came who was doing actually my job now. He was working for Eurospace as a lobbyist for the European space industry, and he gave a lecture about space. And so I was really interested into it because I didn't know that with my background, so political science, I could do space policy. So I'm from Toulouse, which is a, a city and a region which is well known for space. And my father worked for Airbus for its entire career. So I was always from close or from far, a bit in the space sector. But as I was not an engineer, I didn't, I had no idea basically that I could, I could work in the space sector. So I literally took space out of my mind. For me, it was no option. 
And, and during my studies, when, when this person came to us and explained what he was doing as a daily job, I then figured out that I could, with my background, do something about space. But um, honestly, beyond, I wrote my master thesis on space in, in the, during this year, but then it kind of um, disappeared because I had this opportunity to go to Brussels. Before that, I was, I was in Berlin at the embassy working for social policy. So again, something which is really far from space. And uh, so then it was just uh, an opportunity for me to work for space. Yeah. But I think what you did is you found a, a very transferable skill by getting to know the Brussels bubble, as you've said. Something that I've experienced as part of, as part of my professional career is trying to engage with the policymaking organs of the European Union. And mm -hmm. it, it is extremely time consuming. It's extremely complex to, you know, to understand how the parliament work, works and the council and all the different processes and interactions. And I found myself really wishing that we had a dedicated person whose mm -hmm. you know, only job it was, was to follow along what was happening in Brussels. In, in that regard, can you tell us a little bit about the mission of ASD Eurospace and specifically what your role is in the organization? Yeah, sure. So Eurospace is the trade association of the European space industry. So we represent the members that are active in the field of, of upstream space, so all manufacturers of satellites, launchers. And our job is, to, is threefold. So we have a mission of advocacy. So we need to represent the interests of these members, whether it's in the, U the European Union or whether at ESA. We also have a, a mission of, of compliance. So we need to make sure that everything that, that the EU regulates or ESA puts uh, into paper, uh, it is uh, followed by industry. And we also have a mission of, I would say, policy and market analysis dedicated to our, our members so that they know what's going on at the EU, at ESA, and uh, based on that, they can also adapt their strategies, etc. And in my role specifically, I'm policy manager. It means that I'm both involved at the EU level and at ESA level, and it's uh, first is to be aware of what's going on at EU and ESA level, try to inform my members about that and then try to relate their messages to people that are in the institutions. Right. So you didn't have a background, obviously, in space policy. How did you prepare for this role once you started and how did you get the, the background that you needed on the space sector? I think the most important background I got it was a general background on, on the European Union that I had in my, in my year in Strasbourg at the, the, the Policy Institute. Because we are known to have um, a formation that, that is really generalist. That means that we can adapt to a lot of, of fields. So we are not experts in one field, but we can adapt to a lot of them. We talked about Unilever. In, after a few months, I was quite well aware of what was going on in the consumer good industry. And during my internship at, in Berlin, I was also well aware of what was going on uh, in Germany regarding uh, social policy. And for space, it was a bit the same, although I was a bit mm, more knowledgeable in the fact that I wrote my master thesis on, on space and um, 
how the 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 Franco-German engine we we on, we always refer to regarding European Union could be adapted or not to to space. So I had some basic, but uh, most of what I know today I learned it on on the on the job basically. Yeah. So you had this important kind of starting skill, which was knowledge of the functioning of the European Union. Yeah, which is I think quite desired by the companies. So. <laughs> Who are some of the actors that that you're dealing with on a a day to day basis? And you, obviously, it's the industry, but who yeah. else? Yeah. So first, the industry, and when we talk about industry, it's mostly, for my case, it's mostly people that are also involved in uh, public affairs. Uh, although sometimes we can also have regular contacts with experts in some field. For example, if we prepare a position on space traffic management. We have, we have exchanges with experts from industry on these fields and on the other side, institutions. So whether it's ESA, it's ESA executive in the, in the different directorates, depending on which top topic you, you deal with. And then on the European Union, it could be parliamentarians and their assistants at the commission, policy officers within the commissions, the commission and also in the member states representative in the embassies to the EU. So. PAM reps. So it's nice you're building up a really a large network there in uh, the European sector. Yeah, because the, this network is quite, I would say, easy to build in Europe because the space sector, it's at the end, it's uh, very small. So you always meet the same person. Um, so in conferences, but also during meetings. So at, so at the end, you quickly build uh, a network. Uh, of people you can you can always talk to to share information etc so it's quite easy to do at least in europe i don't know for the for the other countries but uh, at least in europe yeah and so i know some of the larger companies they have their own independent public affairs or government affairs units mm -hmm. and even in some of the the mid-size or even small companies but i was wondering at what point is it that companies think okay we need to use an industry association to actually mm -hmm. take this particular issue to through the system or is there a tendency for particularly some of the larger companies to uh, to just go off on their own or deal with things by themselves yeah this i think the main point within all these companies is that they understand that the more you are more the more powerful is the message at the end and um, so this is what we try to do within Eurospace is that we try to have enough members and enough strength in order that our messages, they represent a large part of, of the European space industry. So basically, we represent 90% of the total turnover of the European space industry and about 60% of the total employment. So when Eurospace speaks, normally it, uh, we are listened. And this doesn't prevent, of course, our members to also share their messages on top of commonly agreed messages. So I don't think they see it as a, I think they see it more as a benefit also because we are quite known in um, our quickness. We are, we analyze a lot of documents coming from the EU, from ESA, and uh, we give our feedback. So it's also time saving for our members to focus on maybe something else. Yeah. You're bringing 
together space industry actors and trying to find uh, common positions on certain subjects. So that sounds like quite a difficult task. Can you talk about some of the key skills that you've been developing in this role? Yeah, sure. So it's, it can be a, a hard task indeed. It depends on the topics. But yeah, one, one of the first tasks is uh, the ability to build consensus. So you, on a certain topic, you will have a company A saying something, a company B saying the opposite. And you, you really have to try to, to build a consensus so that at the end, everybody's happy. And another skill that I developed here at Eurospace is what I was saying before is that the rapidity to analyze document. Now, when I see an official document from the EU, from ESA, maybe 30 pages or so, I know how to read it. I know be before reading it, what I have to read to understand the whole document. And the job is uh, then to put it on paper and in two, three pages, just, just summarize the paper so that it can be easily understood without reading it. So this is also one of, of the skill, uh, we, we master within Eurospace. And, and the other one is also a bit linked to that is when you have a complicated paper. So we wrote, we write on a lot of paper, on a lot of topics. Sometimes these topics are far from my knowledge, really technical. And our job at the end, Eurospace executive. So it is to translate these messages and to, to give them to the institution. So we have to be pedagogic and, and understand uh, everything from, from our papers in order to deliver the message as clearly as possible. So this is also one of the key skills uh, we have to master. Yeah. yeah. So I think just to kind of contrast this a little with, I guess, the majority of people that you find in the space sector, which are coming from a technical background, or an engineering background. Yeah. And I always think it's interesting to you know, reflect on the fact that a key aspect of policy work is both dealing with ambiguity and situations where you know, there's not necessarily a right answer, but the right answer happens when you can get everybody to agree on the words in a paper. Indeed. And we also have this chance within Eurospace is that our papers at the end, if it, even if they are built by consensus, they mean something. So it's not removing every useful parts of the paper. And at the end, the paper is just plain messages. So it means something. So that's also a, a good job we do. Yeah. So could you give us an example of a specific project just to kind of illustrate what a typical day would look like in your job? And the reason I ask is because a lot of people, particularly from the technical side, you know, don't really have an idea of the day-to-day -day work of a policy person. So there are two types of days, I would say. There's a, the back office day and the day when you, when you meet institutions or you go to conferences. So the back office day, so we are organized around working groups. So say we have to, to write something about the space traffic management. I know that you also care a lot of, uh, about this topic. So we have a working group on space traffic management and our approach is to have a European answer to STM. So we meet in, in working groups, everybody share its ideas. And then when the meeting is finished, we have to put them on paper and try to build, as I said, the consensual paper. 
And then we send it out to the working groups and then we have review phases. So you have to integrate all documents. Uh, you receive a lot of comments on your paper, some feedback, some inputs, and you have to integrate them in the paper so that it looks readable and that it looks understandable. So this is one typical task we do. Another typical task we do is read 30 pages document from the commission, for example, and summarize it in, in, in three pages. And another typical day would be then to meet with institution and share those messages. So basically it's either informal meetings that you can have with, with institutions, but also formal meetings. And, uh, and yeah, our job is basically to, to convey our messages and try to convince them that it, that it's good for Europe. Was there anything that really surprised you about the role? Mm, I would say I was expecting it to be more difficult in terms of what we discussed earlier in terms of technical background. I was expecting to a bit struggle at the beginning with all technical terms, but you really learn it on the go and it's really, we really touch upon deep subjects, but also in the policy aspects. So it's easy to understand. Also, I was quite impressed by the fact that also I said it earlier that the space sector is quite small, so you always meet the same person. So you kind of build relationships of trust. So it's easier at, afterwards to, to convey your messages. And if we, you also have uh, an expertise which is recognized by, by these people, they also listen to you more. So this, is, was, this was also something that, uh, that surprised me the most, yes. You've mentioned several times that the space sector is pretty small, but I think in general, it's starting to get bigger. So we're seeing more and more funding go into the sector, more and more private capital mm -hmm. and the development of you know, a new space sector, several European launch companies in development, which is pretty exciting. So what are some of the broad issues that, or the broad policy topics that you're dealing with at Eurospace? We are quite involved in the, so it changes a lot. It's also something good about the job is that we are switching from topics to topics. The topics from two months ago are not the same topics as today, and they will not be the same as tomorrow. We also involve in a lot of different sites. So today I could say it's, it's space traffic management and the, the new space flow that was announced by Commissioner Breton uh, last year. There's also, there are the close relationship between space and defense, which is more and more recognized at the EU level. It's no longer taboo. There's also on the other side, everything that goes with simplifying procurement. You mentioned a lot about these new space companies and they, they, they sometimes complain and they are right about how difficult it is to, to get the, an ESA contract and uh, to get the payment from these contracts. So we try to reflect on how best to to change that, uh, ESA is also reflecting on on amending or changing the, its uh, geo-written policy. So we're also dealing with that as well. So it it the, the topics are numerous, and what's good about it is that it it changes a lot and it evolves. So that's that's good. And of course, I cannot go without mentioning the Iris Square constellation, which is also quite high on the agenda for us. So the purpose of this podcast is to help people who are interested in space policy to actually launch a career in the field. So 
now I'm thinking, okay, you know, how, how can we give good advice? So I was wondering about your particular degree. So you studied mm-hmm. political science and European affairs. When you look back, was this a good choice of degree or would you have done anything differently? At the end, yes, it was a really good choice because I'm here today and I'm really enjoying my job. Maybe what I could have done more is to be more involved in, in, in space in general. So you have a lot of bodies that are targeting young people, such as the SGAC. I could have been there as well. Also, there's a lot of open conferences where you, where you can go to that are free as well. It's really interesting a bit to, to grasp the, what uh, the European space sector is up to. And also what's really important, at least in Europe and in the Brussels bubble, is to build a network. And when you go there, when you go in, the, in those bodies, you, you already build uh, a network with, with young professionals. And at the end, it will serve you because you will, uh, you will have more opportunities. So this is something I didn't do. And by luck, I'm, I'm here today. But I guess it, it would have been maybe quicker to go into the space sector if I'd done that before. Yeah, so you mentioned the, the SGAC, which uh, mm-hmm. I'll put this in the show notes, the Space Generation Advisory Council. I think that's an amazing organization that, that has yeah. uh, lots of opportunities for people to get involved and kind of actively work on current subjects in the space sector. So that's a really good option. And yeah, I mean, the networking thing, I found this myself that there's no kind of textbook out there that says this is how the European mm-hmm. space sector works it's actually pretty difficult to kind of uncover how it functions and really understand the difference between ESA and kind of EU and how they operate. And I I think one of the easiest ways to gain that knowledge is actually just to ask people. And I think I've also picked up a lot of knowledge just uh, from social media. Indeed. And I, I think if I'm, if we are talking about social media, I think on LinkedIn, it does the space sector. It has gone quite big. And we have seen a lot of, of so-called space influencer that are also that you may be part of, Andrew. I don't know, but uh, that are trying to a bit popularize space and try to give the keys to understand better space and European space sectors. So that's also something which is, I think, really useful. And we also try to do it at Eurospace. So when there's a, when there's a, a law which is issued or a regulation or something, we try to explain the content of it to, to our public. But also at the end, we are a lobby organization. So we put, again, two, three messages explaining the, the view of industry. So that's normal for us, but you're not obliged to do it. But that's also quite uh, a good source of, uh, of information. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So what's your view on the future career opportunities in this field? I mean, where do you see the opportunities emerging? So we, as you said, the, the space sector is, is emerging, so, which is a really good thing because uh, we don't measure enough. So we, we know about it, but we don't measure enough uh, how space uh, is useful. And uh, by the way, there's a nice video from, from DLR, so the German Space Agency, which is called How Space Can Be Useful or something like that. I can send it to you afterwards. And it's really funny to see. Um, it's a day without space. What would happen a day without space? So we don't realize enough how space can be useful. And so we conducted a survey last year on, on open positions in industry. And there are a lot of, of open positions within the established industry. For example, last year, there were about 3,000 open positions. So there, 
I think industry is looking for for new people, for creative ideas. So, so that's a really good thing. And I think I think we have a future in this sector. It it's growing, so that's a good thing. And we can build amazing projects, and that they can serve our citizens. And so that's that's a good thing. That's interesting. I mean, I've noticed the the growth in companies that are really seeking to make their business model based on the downstream applications um, mm. of space data. So there's all sorts of companies in the Earth observation sector that are using Earth observation data. And of course, there's many policy issues that, that are going to emerge with that um, in each of their respective sectors. Uh, yes. And I think the... Uh, and- Sorry, go on. Yeah, I just wanted to say we see a, a growth in employment in the past years, and uh, this is mostly driven by startups. But we also have to be careful with that because most of the employment is financed by equity. So we need, uh, so these startups actually need real contracts in order to sustain their employment. So this is also something we have to look after in the future. It's that it doesn't create an employment bubble cannot be sustained afterwards by by real contracts mm. so yeah that is a risk indeed and just recently i encountered someone who chose to go into the space sector not because of the inspirational things that were being done but because of the situation of the growing space debris in our orbits. So it was the space sustainability mission that was motivating mm-hmm. them to join. And I just found that really surprising. It was the, the first time I've seen that because we're so used to seeing people who have had a long interest and passion in space and uh, kind of always wanted to go it. And Indeed, now we're starting to see these new areas. Yeah. And it, space is one one of the fields where you have passionate people, but you also have some people that are not that interested in space. And they see it from a different angle. You said the angle of sustainability environment. So this is also a, a way in into the space sector. And you, of course, you don't have to be passionate about space to work into space. I, I really like space, but I, I'm not passionate in, at 100% in space, meaning that I, I don't look at every launches on the planet. I, I don't buy everything space products, but I really like space. I find it super cool. I find it uh, super dreaming as well, but uh, you don't have to be passionate about space to work in space. So for the space policy enthusiast that is listening to this podcast, what is your advice then about starting along this career path? I would say you really have to know how to navigate into your political environment, whether it's in Europe or in another country, you really have to... I wouldn't say master because when you're young, you're not mastering anything. You're just learning, but at least know how it works, how political institutions in your country work in order to, to navigate and yeah, be as efficient as possible. So that would be one of my advice. Know your environment. So on that note, you can, you can get that knowledge, right? By doing a degree in political science, but do you think it's possible also just to sort of really be a close observer uh, of the politics and, you know, read as much as you can and talk to people as much as you can and kind of generate that knowledge and experience yourself. I I think so, yes. I think it really depends on your motivation at the end. If you're really 
if you really want to work into this field, you will do everything to know about it. And that would be a, a clear advantage, of course. But yeah, you have to know your environment. I repeat myself. And whether it's by education or by education in yourself, reading papers, talking to people. So that's a huge plus, yes. Yeah. And the reason why I'm asking that question is that quite often I encounter uh, technical people who want to get into policy and they always mm -hmm. ask, well, should I do, you know, like a master's in politics or a master's in EU affairs? And it's kind of hard to know really what's the best advice. There's an opportunity cost to spending one or two years mm -hmm. studying and usually a huge cost financially. And I think that sometimes, depending on the particular field, I think you, you can actually just generate that experience yourself through experience and reading. Fully agree. Uh, personally, I think uh, experience is more important than degree because you, you can see I have a European affairs degree. I'm working in European affairs. That's good, but I'm not working. I, I didn't study space at all. And I learned everything on the job within my experience. So I think at the end, what really counts is experience and the motivation you show that you can build this experience by yourself as well. So I think that is actually a very hopeful note to end the interview on, actually, because I think a lot of people struggle with this point. They want to get into the space sector or they're in a technical role and they just don't feel that they can actually make the jump over to um, a policy role or even something like a business development role mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. or a communications role. And I think for those types of things, it is possible to do. Um, I think to be in the regulation side or the, you know, the space law side, that's where it starts to be. Okay. You, you probably do need to have a legal qualification to Indeed. really grasp those issues. But uh, yeah, for the general policy roles, I think it's actually quite helpful in a way to already have a technical background yeah, for many reasons. So we're coming to the end of our time, Charles. So I like to try and end on a, a note of inspiration and optimism. What's the big picture for you and where do you see yourselves as part of it? What's your overall mission? I mentioned earlier the, the video from the German space agency saying what, this, what the day without space would look like. And I feel we are doing the job on con of convincing institutions that space really matters, that it's useful for a lot of topics, whether it is climate change, security, uh, agriculture, etc. So I really see our role in trying to convince those people and that space really is useful and that it can help a lot of people on earth. So this is what I feel about my job. I really feel that we have to convince that the space matters and that space is really important. And in Europe, we all, space is a bit too much clustered, I would say. We are a bit between ourselves and the other sectors. They don't really know about, about space, what we can bring to them. So that's really part of my job and that's how I see myself useful. So Charles, it has been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you for sharing your experience. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you a lot, Andrew, for the invitation. And it was a, a real pleasure for me. We hope you've been inspired by our journey through space policy careers on the Space Policy Pioneers podcast. If you're passionate about carving your path in the cosmos, don't miss out. 
head over to www.scienceinspace.co.uk to explore our exclusive space policy career coaching services and supercharge your career today. With insights from top space policy experts and a track record of helping professionals like you succeed, Science and Space is your trusted source for career growth. Please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. Your five-star rating not only shows your appreciation, but also helps us reach more space policy enthusiasts like you. Sharing the show with three friends who hold your passion for space policy or on your favorite social media platforms amplifies our mission to educate and inspire. To stay connected, follow Science and Space on LinkedIn, on X, and explore our video content on YouTube. As we continue to explore the boundless possibilities of space policy, thank you for joining us on this exciting journey. Ad Astra.